This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your life and with your community. Welcome to Query. Hello, Queeros. Cameron here, and I am officially back at my house, and it's amazing here. So, let's see. Last week was my birthday. I got food poisoning to celebrate, so that was beautiful. Other than that, I'm loving being home with my dog, Murph, and my wife, Rhea, and nice to be here in Los Angeles. And today's episode is a special crossover episode, like when the Flintstones would be on the Jetsons or something that would make sense to a younger audience than myself. Kathy has a great podcast out of WNYC uh, that is called Nancy, that she co-hosts with Tobin Lowe. And after Kathy and I kind of struck up an internet friendship, I have been on Nancy. Now it is Kathy's time to be on Query. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Please, as always, rate and review on iTunes if that's how you listen, or give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram where we are at QueryCast, or pop on over to our Facebook page. It is great to know you guys. Ooh, one more thing. Rhea and I will be performing in Portland, Maine on November 2nd in Boston, Massachusetts on November 4th, and in Providence, Rhode Island on November 5th. So grab those tickets. You can head over to CameronEsposito.com slash tour hyphen dates and get some dicks. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome to the, welcome to this show. Welcome to Query. We just <laughs> recorded a little thing yeah. for another thing. And we might, who knows if that thing will even go anywhere. But we'll see. It's nice we'll to see. have you on the show. Yeah, Why thanks. don't you introduce yourself? Um, so my name is Kathy too, and I co-host a podcast called Nancy at WNYC Studios. I love Nancy. You do? Yeah, I think it's a really, um, I love the way you and Tobin talk to each other. And mm-hmm. I also think that... Um, you're presenting your personality is really important. I loved the episode about A Camp. Oh, man. Yeah, that episode where I get my heart broken. <laughs> well, that's not what I loved. I mean, I, I listened to it because I knew you got your heart broken. No, um, I think what I liked about it is so I'm I'm buddies with Kristen Russo and Jenny Owen Youngs. And mm-hmm. like I was going over to their house for dinner then when I was listening to that podcast, like hiking around my neighborhood and. Mm-hmm. Uh, heard their little voices for a second. Um, and I've performed at a camp and and Reese who works at Autostraddle. So like yeah. I, it was just really nice to see um, or not to see because I heard it. You heard it. Yeah. But to hear something as specific as that 
being represented anywhere. Yeah, because it's a very specific community. The like, I I assumed that every lesbian in the world knew what a camp was, but I was wrong. I, that's interesting that you assumed that they did. Because, yeah. Like, what was that based on? I just thought that every person who was a queer woman read Autostraddle because I didn't know of any other resources out there. <laughs> so so you're just, like, this is what we're all reading. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is it. And the content's so good. Like, why would you? This is what this is all you need. So I just assumed everybody read it like I did. And so logically, <laughs> I thought everybody knew about a camp. Not that everybody could go, but I just soon people knew about it. But I was I was very wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Autostraddle is that you have to kind of, it's one of those like, it's like a secret gay bar. It's like you have to kind of know mm. about it to find it. Yeah. Like you can yeah. put in like lesbian resources, but you're going to maybe, or like les- <laughs> entertain, lesbian, entertain, you're going to maybe get like a bunch of you know, like, le- lesbianentertainment.com. Like, that goes to nowhere important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I see... I've you know, you're going to get, like, yes. the domains that are have just been purchased. <laughs> Lesbians that are relevant yeah. in media.com. It's also, I have to say, hard to search Google anything that has lesbian in it and not end up at a porn site. Because that true. always happens to me at work. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because you're looking up yeah, pornography. Yeah. Well, sometimes. No, no. but uh, yes, it is. It's hard to. Absolutely. It's hard. I mean. Right. Our search term, our search terms. Don't yield (laughs) the results that I think we're always intending. I told our intern the other day, I was trying to tell him about the story about how. uh, Do you remember the two, uh, the couple, the lesbian couple that was kicked off of Southwest? Of course, yeah. Um, I was—he didn't know about it, so I was like, "Just Google Southwest lesbians, and you'll find it." And then he did, and is porn. Are you talking so. about? First of all, number one, what? And number two, are you talking about Leisha Haley and Camilla Gray getting kicked off Southwest? So I just found that out a couple of days ago that it was her. <laughs> I had no idea. I just started watching the yeah. L Word, and I just started to learn who the actors are. Wow. Well, number one, amazing, uh-huh. and. Uh, Welcome to, like, continuing <laughs> your education. And you know what? I had a similar... Let me tell you something that was me. Okay. 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 <laughs> I was once on a... I was once on a Delta flight. I fly Delta. Okay. And I'm, like, airline loyal because I started flying Delta a bunch of years ago. And if you fly as much as I do for work, as, you know, you you are, like, bi-coastal, so uh-huh. you fly... Uh-huh. Uh, being loyal to a certain airline helps you because you like oh, scoot you're like up platinum status. Yeah, I have a lot of status, okay. and that is like okay. important because you fly so much that it's exhausting. So anyway, my yeah. point is, I'm like in at Delta. Like okay. I'm like I'm like committed. Like we are in a relationship, <laughs> and I watched Carol. Okay, on a Delta flight, and that particular version of Carol had been edited so that there were no kisses. At not all? only did they not have, not only did they not have sex, they never kissed each other. And the person next to me was watching the Showtime television show Billions, and on screen, Paul Giamatti was ball gagged and participating in a BDSM scene. And I am not saying that that shouldn't have been in my purview, but it was just of note to me hmm. that I was watching a sex scene, and that the sex scene in Carol, which is like straight up so chill and for like 
babies to see uh-huh. um, had been edited out. So I tweeted about it with like my airline Outrage. airline Wi-Fi, <laughs> and then my airline Wi-Fi went down. And by the time I like re got my airline Wi-Fi up because I like tagged Delta uh-huh. Trish Bendix, who's a friend of mine, had picked it up for what was then after Ellen, I think, and written about it. And then from there, like, somehow MTV found out about it and wrote about it. And then HuffPo. And then suddenly it was this cascade of every publication picking this up. And when it started, you know, like, it was like Cameron Esposito sees No Kiss Carol. And then it was like lesbian comedian sees No Kiss Carol. And then it was like, Delta's not showing kisses in Carol. And then it was like, (laughs) Delta hates gay people. It became such a, like, firestorm that Delta literally had to release a statement. By that time, I was, like, just completely removed from the process. (laughs) And Phyllis Nagy, who wrote the screenplay, ended up tweeting at me and told me, like, what had happened, which is that the Weinstein Company made two versions of Carol. One where there was all the kisses and then one that was like the edited version uh-huh. that had none of the kisses and there was no other version that you could buy. Why did they even make the second version? Because somebody somewhere no was thinking that that was a good idea. Anyway, an airline had to release a statement. <laughs> and then did anything change from that? Did you I did you think... did you create some sort of like massive the watershed moment? I found out what airlines did have it, and then I think I personally watched Carol on those flights. <laughs> 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 that's the that's the change that I created in the world. That was good. That's good. But anyway, that was me, listeners. <laughs> that was me. Look at you getting things done. I know. I I didn't get anything done. But well, you tried. I tried really hard. Yeah, you yeah. tried really hard. I really hard. didn't try that hard. I sent like two tweets. <laughs> Look, the Wi-Fi went down. Yeah. It's Delta's fault. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's all, yes, all to be blamed upon Delta. Yeah. But let's talk about you, uh, I guess, okay. if we want to. I feel like your life is more interesting than what's going on over here. I don't... Well, <laughs> the whole show is about identity. So, okay. I mean, I know what my identity is, yeah. but what is your identity? How do you identify as a person? Do we want to get like super specific? How do you have? Wait, how do you identify actually? Oh no, you can't. You cannot interview me back. Like oh, I'm I mean, sorry. You can. No, I mean you can. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how I identify. Okay. Um, I'm just looking for the specificity. Oh, you know you're... what? I totally get it because I can. I can. We don't know each other very well, but yeah. I can feel that you like specific directions. Yeah, <laughs> but this was not. It was. In, it was intended to not be a specific questions. Oh, question. okay. Uh, or specific directions question, because what it what it was intended to be is like, how do you interpret that? So I could uh, follow up by saying that. And number one, I'll give you my answer too if you okay. want it. But first, um, no, like how do I, how do you identify and take that however you want? I think since since Nancy started, I've been more and more comfortable calling myself a queer woman, um, because then I get to skip the part where I dive into what kind of bisexual person I am. And not not that I'm ashamed of saying that I'm bisexual, but sometimes I feel like if I'm not specific enough, then I get treated in a certain way that I don't like. Like, I I can't I don't fall in love with men, unfortunately, but I do find them attractive. Uh, in fact, the wallpaper on my phone is of one Mr. James Norton from this BBC show called Grantchester, and I love him so much. But we could never be. It would never work for us, you know. And 
now that I'm out in the dating world, it's kind of hard for me to like word vomit that out to people when when I'm trying to explain that I only want to date women because it's not going to with men it's not going to go anywhere, unfortunately. So when I step back from that, queer is easier for me. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was interested in all of that. So okay. if you feel like you're losing people, that's on them. Like, I just mean, if you're, uh, you're I mean, I uh, love the idea that queer works for you. I yeah. love the idea that queer works for you. But also, I felt like I understood exactly what you were talking about. I mean, I consider myself a lesbian, mm-hmm. not a bisexual person, like, at all. Okay. Um, and I also love using the word queer. That works for me, too. Both of those terms work for me. Um, but I feel like I'm very much on the, like, I think, I really do think all sexuality and gender is a spectrum so full like straight up les uh-huh. but also uh do have men that i find attractive um i wouldn't even i think wanna kiss them hmm. but i think they're cute and i can get really into that <laughs> i have a very specific type that my wife knows about okay um I don't mean like knows about like I would keep it from her, but I just mean she knows who I would be into. Okay. Um, and, but yeah, I wouldn't want to do anything. Could would you uh, want to kiss these guys or oh, would you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ready James to Norton, kiss. Like ready to kiss. Oh yeah. But yeah. you're not into the relationship. Um, I just have found that I kept dating men, and it would never like I'd never feel deeply enough the way I did for women. So. At one point, I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna stop because I don't, I don't." I think I was listening to um, Savage Love, and at one point, Dan had he was explaining what homo romantic and what like, hetero romantic was, and I was like, "There it is. That's what it is." I don't fall in love with them because whenever me and a guy broke up, it was like, "Okay, see ya." <laughs> but with with women, it was so, it was just such a deeper connection that I had, um, and it was something that to me just felt like it was more real than uh, the relationships I had with men. But I do find both of them like equally attractive, though, if I'm being honest, which sometimes I feel like I can't say. Um, why, why is that? Because I think that sometimes, I don't know, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm straddling, I'm straddling the line between lesbian and bisexual. Like there's no real in-between. So if I if I say that I am, if I say I'm a, a lesbian, then the bisexual community gets mad at me for for being biphobic. If I say I'm bi, then the lesbian think I'm not actually gay. Does that make sense? Like I feel like I'm right in the middle between the two, and neither side has fully claimed. I can't really hang out with either side, um, and that doesn't feel that feels kind of. Um, it feels like mo- much of my life, actually, having to like split cultures as well, because I'm, I'm Chinese American, and I wasn't born here, but I moved when I was like four, and I'm constantly stra- uh, straddling the line between being um, raised American, but having to um, understand and also be a part of my parents' Chinese culture, which is very different, and the the thinking is very different, and I, and I feel like. I'm always just kind of trying to balance the two. 
And so when it comes to sexuality, of course, I was like, of course you're in the middle because you have to make it difficult. You're just right in the middle between this group and that group. And you can't find which one you get to be in. That sounds that sounds really hard. <laughs> it's a little tiring. It's a little tiring. Now now I'm like, okay, gender expression. Are you in the middle again? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. I mean, the good news is, well, I guess I would ask this question. Who is giving you this feedback that you like can't hmm. come in to the community if you don't know what you are? Where uh, are you getting that from? And I'm not... I'm not suggesting it's not real. I'm asking, like, what, where, do you, where do you see that? I, I guess I would say from in print or, like, online news or, like, community forums and stuff that I've read online. And, and I've been on the Internet for, for, a, for a long time, ever since I was, like, I don't know. I remember helping people with the Internet in, like, first grade. <laughs> I was really into website building. My first website was dedicated to Gabrielle from Xena. That's amazing. Um, I hope that site's still up. Mm-hmm. What a bummer. Archive.org. You can okay. find it there. All right. Um, I, I feel like I, it, I, it's some sort of, some, somewhere in the media, but I can't pinpoint exactly where. What is your relationship with, like, <laughs> for lack of a better term, the IRL community? Like, um, like are you – do you have – a ton of queer friends? Do you have some queer friends? I have some queer friends. Uh, the majority of my, I would say I'm, I'm more like 66, 33. <laughs> <laughs> I told you you like those really dialed in questions. You, you're saying you're 66, 33? Okay. Um, and 1% other. <laughs> yeah. Well, so those friends that you have, mm-hmm. um, have you been with them to like queer normative spaces? Uh, A-Camp was the first queer normative, normative space I've ever been to. And I heard your you know, story about it, mm-hmm. but I felt like in that story, you know, because you're, you're like doing a different thing. You're trying to create like uh, journalism uh-huh. as opposed to a chat. Uh-huh. Uh, what did that feel like for you? It was... Um... It was, it was, I think, the safest space I, I think I'd ever been in. It's sort of like, um, ugh, I'm going to sound like a total hippie now. It feels That is like, not the enemy. <laughs> that is okay. Okay. I, I, I've been to Burning Man three times, and... That's not what I, that's straight up <laughs> not what I expected you were going to say next. And... Being at A Camp, I'm not saying it was the same thing because Burning Man is way more intense, I think, than A Camp because, you know, survival. But uh, I had the same feeling as when I was there, which was like, I feel safe here and I can be myself here and I can talk to anybody here and nobody's really going to look at me with those very judgy eyes that I have feared since I was a little kid. Like the, the dismissive eyes of like, oh, this person and then walk away. I feel like that has haunted me like throughout my childhood uh, into adulthood. And Burning Man, A-Camp are the two places that knowing nobody when I got there and, and, and knowing that there's a lot of people there, I didn't fear that. Where was the, what was the origin of that? Like, what did that come from, do you think? Um, 
that like feeling of being observed by something that is not just like mean girls mean girls from school you know like what were they zeroing in on uh i don't know like what were they patrolling in you do you think um maybe just that i looked different from them usually these so i went to a very um Asian high school, like we were, there was a high percent, like 40 or 50% Asian and the other half was white. And I feel like we segregated ourselves pretty well um, between the two. And I always felt like I was never enough to, to hang out with the white kids. So I always hung out with the Asian kids. And I, I don't even think I really had like a true friend who was not Asian until college. Before that, I went to school with them, and I would say hi and bye. We were acquaintances, but I didn't have any, like, close friends who were not Asian. And in college, suddenly I was like, I think this is a problem. I think I need to make other friends. I mean, I guess only a problem if with the um, the addition of, feel- of, like, the not good enough or yeah. not enough. I think you said not enough for the weight. Yeah. Folks at your well, school. also at the same time, you're bombarded with media that tells you, you know, this is attractive. This is what um, was beautiful, and this is what's handsome. And so I think, as a kid, I took those images and I applied them to to what was around me. And so I was like, these these really mean girls, they're beautiful, but like I'm not them, so I don't deserve to be in their space. And I think I carried that for a long time. I think I still have it now, honestly. Um, I tried to suffocate it a little bit now, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean... I don't I don't fully... You know, I'm a white person, so mm-hmm. I don't fully understand that on a... Like, I'll never understand that, what it's like to be a person of color or an Asian person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do relate to... Um, feeling not good enough to be in a group. I think that um, I think that that's part of the reason that you know I chose performing as a career because it's it's so like the it the dynamics are not fair. If you're on stage, you are you're powerful. I have the opposite reaction to that. When I'm on stage, I am terrified. How are you doing that? Give me <laughs> advice. <laughs> well, I think part of it is just like I I don't actually I think that's an innate like almost personality thing, like what you perceive of uh-huh. as but but what I mean is like the performer and the audience are not equals in that moment cuz like one of them has paid <laughs> okay. Right. And right, one of them right. is being paid and yeah, one yeah, of them yeah. is talking and yeah. one of them is listening. Okay. Um so I think that's like a way of sort of claiming space that yeah. that like maybe as a human being I would be more scared to do uh in an interpersonal situation. Hmm. Um So I'm curious for you, mm-hmm. you know, what is it like having this job now where you have to take up space. Oh man! All right, so I've already I've already taken a beta blocker before I got in here, <laughs> just to just to calm things down a little bit. Uh, and um, I had really bad anxiety when we first started, so I'm 
on some anti-anxiety meds just to like calm things down, but hopefully eventually I, I will just be able to go off of them. It's been, um, I was just telling Tobin the other day, starting this podcast has been uh, one of the best things that's ever happened to me, I think, because because for so long I've been knowing that I was queer, but not really thinking much more about it. It's just like, okay, this is a thing. And I'm not saying that you have to think more about it, but I didn't have a community until the show started. I didn't reach out for, I didn't know I needed a community until it showed up at a camp. Like I didn't, sometimes you just don't know until it comes into your life and you're like, how did I live without this for so long? Um, So taking up space now is, I'm reluctant to do it. And I don't know how to not feel reluctant to take up space. Like, I feel like my therapist has said to me many times, like, we all, like, deserve to be in the space that we're in. And I'm like, I logically understand what you're saying. How do you do that? And I have no idea still. Well, it sounds like you're doing a good job of putting yourself on that road. I mean, this is not – you're not – alone in this difficulty i one of the things i'm like most proud of in my life is Mm -hmm. that um when i lived in chicago and i was starting out as a comic i like cobbled together all these different ways of surviving and making money and one of them was um that i taught a stand-up class that was just for women and you can't teach somebody like fully to do stand-up you you they have to you have to learn by experience Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to actually get on stage but you can learn how to take up enough space to go to your first open mic and what I found and when I was in Chicago over 200 women took the class and then it actually still continues today wow Um, and there was another teacher and then now there's another teacher that all like teach the sort of curriculum or whatever yeah and it changed the whole dynamics of the comedy scene first of all because like not all of those women went on to do open mics. Some of them were just like in marketing or I had like a corrections officer um, or, and a female and like a priest, you know. Um, but uh, what it did do was like f- flood this scene that had been very male dominated hmm. before that with like if it wasn't everybody in the class, if it was two people from every class, that was huge. And what I realized is like that – a lot of different types of people were not given permission to take up space early in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, whether it's because you're Chinese American, whether it's because you're a woman, whether it's because you're queer. All like, of the above. Whether it's because you <laughs> happen to be all of those things. Uh, you were not given, you were not encouraged to do that. Like, So I think one thing that you, I mean, this is not like advice hour, but I would just say, um, one thing that you could start with is to know that other people, some people were given a head start, hmm. you know, and Good so point. be like being kind with being kind <laughs> to yourself. Yeah, um, I'm not great at that, but I am I'm learning to, to to be more kind to myself and not being so hard on on myself to make everything 100 um, percent perfect. Because I tend yeah. to do that. And also to not make everything 100% your fault. Like, if it's hard for That's you true. to take up space, um, and it's also hard for all these other people to take up space. You know, like, I have literally <laughs> the, you know, I did the experiment. 
And I found that, like, when women had permission and training, when they felt like they had, like, learned how to write five minutes, Uh that that that's, like, that that was enough to get some people started. And some of those people still do stand up and do stand up professionally. So it's not – it might not actually be you. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think that finding community – because you started by talking about the internet. I think that the internet is – like I actually – whatever our age difference is, mm-hmm. which is four years, like that is – that's a huge difference in terms of internet time. Yeah, that's true. Because I didn't have the internet to start with. Like I had to start with people connections. Uh, okay. And I think that – I think that the internet can be very – the internet can be very finite about what it wants other people to be. Like what you were talking about earlier about like, are you bi? Are you mm-hmm. a lesbian? Like decide. Like yeah. that is what the internet is. The internet is. <laughs> is make up your mind. <laughs> is make The internet is make up your mind. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know that one-on-one people are always make up your mind. Huh. I think you're I think you're right because I don't think I feel the same pressure amongst my cabin mates that I now have uh that we still talk uh, as a group. I don't think I feel that kind of judgment from them that I think I get from whatever it is I'm reading online. What what what's that about? Well, because the internet is like a dumping ground for the opinions that you can't share because you don't want to hurt other people's feelings. <laughs> and in real life, if I see your actual face, mm-hmm. I care about you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, and I, I say this because I, I relate to feeling that the internet can be very harsh mm-hmm. toward um, like any expression of sexuality or gender mm-hmm. or anything. Like, I mean, and and I feel like I get it from both directions, too. Like, I get people in the LGBT community telling me, like, I'm selling out the LGBT community for the for a word I use. And then or, you know, know, like a haircut or whatever it is. And then like some and then like a straight there would be like a straight person commenting right below that saying, like, the exact opposite thing. You know what I mean? Like, like somebody's like, wait, wait. I'm. Pretty you sure. cannot use the word lesbian. You have to use word. You know, like, it's like it's like the the everything is spoken in absolutes, and everything completely contradicts each other. And right. everybody's trying to triangulate you. Yeah. Because like, we're fucking scared out of our minds, and it's just somebody reaching out to need validation. Wait, I'm pretty sure the internet is in agreement about your hair. Like, <laughs> I am pretty 100% sure about that one. I mean, no. no. <laughs> I will tell you that I have, I have seen... Well, there was a younger... When I, like... I used to do these videos ca- called Ask a Lesbian. Uh-huh. And, um, oh, I've seen some They of were those. on BuzzFeed. And BuzzFeed was, like, just launching. And when those videos came out, um, BuzzFeed wasn't, like, churning videos the same way that they are now and so they were like very impactful Hmm. um and the comments on them were like a very large swath of viewers because they had like less content so it was like everybody watching one thing so (laughs) well thank you so much i have received (laughs) 
a lot of different kinds of feedback, but I appreciate you saying that and shepherding. It's all I've seen and, is positive. Okay. Well, so. that's thank you for <laughs> thank you for reading all those. Uh, thank you for reading up on all the articles about my hair. Yeah, um, it's important. You know what's cool? Hmm. That experience that you had at a camp, you, where you were exp- in a queer normative space. Hmm. Um, you could have that experience again here in Los Angeles. Like. I'll give you an example. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Such as? (laughs) Um, I go to a gym uh, that is called Everybody. Okay. And Everybody is a queer normative gym. Where? Where is this gym? It's like in Glendale, I guess would be technically where it is. That's almost close to me. Yeah. Um, It's cool. They have like signs on the walls about Uh like respecting people's autonomy and like that it's about movement and not about like it's cool and uh not everybody in there is lgbtq identified but they literally have like a no bullying like mantra mural (laughs) that sounds awesome and i i i would love to go there (laughs) yeah check it out i mean i'm not like but just everybody and you could i think you can I think you can just go for free your first time. So I would just say, like, I'm not making an ad for them. I'm saying, (laughs) like, just go some afternoon and okay, and get your trial, your free trial day. Yeah, absolutely. Like, see if there's people there, um, and experience that like next to a bread factory. It's like weirdly like just like next to a bread factory. My point is, it's not like in rural Michigan, which is also a cool place to be, but it's right here in L.A. Oh, you know what? I go to, uh, um, uh, I think I saw you, Did you? were you the one that tweeted about this? I, I go to a salon called Folklore Salon. I also go to that salon. Who do you have? Who do you go to? I go to Pony. Oh, okay. I go to Joyce. All great. I know Joyce. Do you, she was the one that cut my hair when it was very long. And the first time I went short. It's a huge deal. Did it feel ceremonial? It was... This, one of the scariest things I'd ever done because I had in my head such a stigma against not looking feminine. My entire life with my parents was trying to be a girl. And it was the first time I was like, okay, I'm just going to not be feminine anymore. So when did you cut this hair? This was in February of this year. How do you feel now? I really like, I mean, okay, aside from a bad haircut that happened like three weeks ago, and then I had to go back to folklore and, I mean, go to folklore and have them fix it because I went to a local place. It wasn't great. Um, I feel really good about it. But I am now in a weird sort of identity crisis situation where I, I think before when I had longer hair, I was, I look like the kind of person that I would be attracted to. Like, I, I'm attracted to feminine people. And now that I look differently, I'm still attracted to feminine women, but I don't know, I don't really have a sense of self anymore. I don't know, like, how to look attractive to myself. How, how do I look attractive now and confident now when I'm, like, dating? It's been a weird, it's been a weird journey right now. <laughs> that is so relatable. I totally fucking get yeah. it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I dated a very feminine... Well, I've dated... uh, If there is a spectrum, I've dated just 
uh, human beings um, on the whole thing. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. <laughs> on the whole thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and I will say that my sense of self has jumped or adjusted based on who I was with. Huh. And it really is um, because I'm now like in this like very sort of rooted relationship, very grounded, mm-hmm. long-termy thing. And we're so public about our relationship that um, it's like the first time that I don't feel a shifting identity. And that's kind of been weird too because mm-hmm. like Rhea, my wife, has – like a lot of stuff going on in terms of gender that I don't have going on, like different identifiers. And that's been an interesting experience. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think like when you're a person that's dating somebody of the same sex or of a similar gender expression like it would be I think impossible to not compare yourself to that person in some way even if you're like comparing yourself in relief huh okay that makes sense I don't know I mean I think I think it does I think I just been thinking about it in terms of like what do I look like to myself now like I don't know how to like I'm just figuring out how to style my hair I'm just figuring out what clothes I should be wearing now generally Tobin dresses me (laughs) He chose out these shoes. <laughs> he he chose the jackets that I wear. I mean, it's a very stereotypical gay man thing. But so, what are you like moving? Do you think from and to like how? What was your when you had long hair? Uh huh. What were you presenting to the world? I think I was just presenting um, like a passing straight person, Got straight it. woman. And now, are you trying? I mean, you. I would say, like, you have a haircut that will is an ex- external representation of queerness. Yes, just like I do. Yes, yes. Um, I think that's a. V- I found it really powerful, but also my haircut has this long side. I don't know if you've seen it, <laughs> and that uh, is interpreted differently than all short hair is. Yeah. Well, getting this haircut meant that. I was going to be seen more so than before when I had long hair. I can just blend in. And that was a very scary thing because I didn't want, I don't think I wanted to be seen. But now I, and now I am. And I'm, it was, it's less scary than I thought it was going to be. But I think it's, it's more so like now that I look in the mirror, I like having my short hair, but I don't look like confidently attractive to myself. You know, I'm still trying to figure out, I'm, I'm having like, trying to figure out the different combinations of hair and clothing and style that looks good to me. And I have, I'm, I feel like this is what teenagers, teenagers go through when they're trying to like go through puberty and they're like, okay, I think this thing will work with this. And then they start dating people. I feel like I'm going through that like 15 years too late <laughs> trying to figure out what I look like. I mean, I would suggest to you that most LGBT folks have to adolescences, at mm. least people like in our sort of general age range. I think that will probably change at some <laughs> point with the way that kids are growing up, although I certainly don't think like everywhere and not all at once. It's not like I think everything is different um, mm-hmm. now. But 
what you're talking about, I think, is the like the experience of coming out. That's great. That's good to hear, actually, because I thought my coming out was a little too easy. <laughs> like when I when I discovered that I was attracted to women, I was I just started dating women. I didn't I didn't come out. I didn't feel the need to come out to anybody except for my mom. And that was a whole thing. But then with my friends, I was just kind of like, I'm dating a woman. OK, moving on. And I thought maybe that was a little bit too easy. Maybe I needed to like, I don't know, think about it a little bit more. And now now it feels like I'm catching up. Now I'm like really being the person that I think I am, but trying to figure out how that, how does it, like it's like a puzzle that I'm trying to piece, I'm trying to piece myself together a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so coming out, which can be framed as like telling a person, Mm -hmm. like that isn't all of coming out, you know, Mm -hmm. because coming out is also coming out to yourself and like becoming comfortable with yourself and finding the ways that you're going to present. And I think that we can be presented like this really simplified version of this thing. I mean, like, you know, just thinking about all the way movies show coming out, it's like about a conversation with your parents where your parents cry, which is totally my experience too. But anyway, (laughs) uh, but it doesn't talk about like when my, you know, I'm from a really conservative Catholic family. When I came out to my parents they cried because they was because they were worried I was going to hell but I cried because I was worried I was going to hell oh really like we both had the experience you know like they mourned the fact that I wouldn't have a husband and a kid that was biologically mine Mm -hmm. from my husband's you know whatever and I mourned that like I I think that we talk about coming out as if it's like some relationship that exists with another person inherently as opposed to the side of it that's the relationship with yourself. Yeah, I think, yeah. I guess I didn't really, I don't think I really thought thought about it. Like when I, when I came out, at least to myself, it was a, it felt like just a, a switch, like a flip. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, move on. <laughs> like it didn't, there wasn't much turmoil, at least for myself, I think. I don't I don't remember I didn't have a span of time where I was like oh my god I think I'm this and what if what if I'm what if I'm gay um how how am I going to deal with that when I found out that I was attracted to my friend I was like oh okay <laughs> and then I moved on from there and and I don't think that's a is that a normal experience is that a common experience I'm trying well, to not use normal but yeah I mean is I that don't... a common thing <laughs> Well, I think, sure. I think it, I think different things happen for people at different times, uh-huh. but I, but I don't know that you can have this experience without having all the parts. It's just like, yeah, the parts are going to happen differently for different people. So yeah, like yeah. if one part is like communicating to your family of origin, the truth about who you are. And if one part is like finding love or partnership or, mm-hmm. um, external validation from like friends you know and one part is knowing yourself then there's still the part about like dealing with societal expectations so even if like Mm. you are not bounced by the fact that you now are dating a woman when you go out in the world with long hair and you pass Mm -hmm. you're not necessarily like experiencing the 
crushing judgment that yes. you will then have to like issue to feel good about yourself. You know, like you have to move through that. Yeah, and I think now so it's is the time. Now is the time that I'm doing that. Yeah. I think yeah. that is totally normal. Okay. I think just different people do it like maybe somebody does all of those stages at once. Yeah. Versus somebody doing them spaced apart. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just didn't I didn't realize at the time how like you said how many different parts come make up the whole um and we expect all of it to happen like all at once and for people to have figured it out before they come out to the world but people keep figuring it out yeah and also like you change yeah you know like whatever you felt comfortable as yesterday you might not feel comfortable as Mm -hmm. tomorrow because like you can't just like throw off uh like I said, this, like, crushing culture that's, like, smushed <laughs> all around you, you know? Yeah. Like, you can't just, like, yeah, funny you open say... a door and walk through that. Funny you say crushing, because at Burning Man, that's where I, I felt the crushing weight of not telling my mom who I was. I think that was the only time. And then, did you tell her? Well, what I did was, uh, I wrote this letter to my mom, uh kind of introduce because I didn't feel like my mom knew who I was I was introducing myself to her in this letter and then my plan was to go home get it translated into Mandarin and then give it to her somewhere along the line I lost the letter because coming back from Burning Man is a is a trek um (laughs) it's a whole thing okay yes (laughs) um and then I just I didn't do it um I think it took another year or so before I tried again tried to come out to her again but I don't know why. My mom is the only person in the world that I care about coming out to, like having a conversation and telling her and making sure she understood exactly what I said. And I needed her to be OK with it. She's the only person in the world. Uh, my brother and my sister, I think they're OK with it. I don't really know. I don't really know if my dad's OK with it, but don't really care. It's just my mom. I need her to be OK with it. And I don't really know why. I mean, I I know why. She's my mom, and she, like, disciplined us and raised us. My dad was less hands-on. And, yeah, I think she's she is the only person in my life that I need her to be okay with me. So where is it right now? She, um, (laughs) so, so I told her a few months ago that my ex and I had broken up. And she was surprisingly supportive and said, just don't think about it. Concentrate on work. And I was like, I'm trying. And then a few weeks later, she called me and she said, when you came out to me, you said that you were bisexual. So now that like you're dating again, maybe you can try dating men. <laughs> and... And then I was like, okay, this is the time. This is it. I'm going to explain to her exactly what homoromantic means. And so I explained it to her a couple of times, and then I had her repeat back to me what I said. And she did, but she sounded so kind of like sad about it. Like, okay, I guess I guess that's how it has to be. That I was satisfied that she understood, but I was kind of also sad that she she felt resigned to who I who I who I am 
Um, and uh, and then the most recent thing that we talked about was like was a camp and how like I like somebody and didn't work out. And she's like, well, that's that that's their fault. And that's on them. That's not on you. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? That is, yeah, that's great advice. <laughs> that's, thank you. <laughs> and then yeah. she said to focus on work, like she always does. Focus on school, focus on work. So that's where we are. I think she's, she understands. She's not 100% happy about it, but but we're okay. She doesn't like my haircut. I mean, she's she was, she was like, well, you'll, you'll grow it out again. And I was like, ah. How do you feel about being okay? Um, I think it's good enough for me for now. If one day that changes, I will make it known to her that it's, I'm I'm not okay with it. I always feel like what my mom is scared of is that I will one day be um, abused or, or somehow attacked for being who I am because I think that's just how she grew up, the people that she read in the papers. Um, she's still calling me every once in a while about like somebody got killed in some place in LA and I'm like I don't live there <laughs> um, I know yeah. <laughs> I'm nowhere near there um, so she that's what she's scared of and I think the day that I get married and she sees like my family and friends around me I think might be the day that she like relaxes and feels okay about it um, so I mean I get married one day that's the only reason I think I would have a ceremony <laughs> So that my mom can see, gonna be okay. There, I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of friends. We're good. Um, but up until that point, I think she's just, you know, moms are gonna worry. They're always gonna worry, and they're gonna keep looking in the news and keep seeing what's wrong with the world. And I don't. I don't think my mom's ever gonna. Sometimes, like, I don't know if your mom does this, but sometimes she like stops herself from saying a thing that she just has to say because she's your mom. Like like drive safe and then she'll stop herself and then she'll like you know what I'm just gonna say it just drive safe home yeah. give me a text <laughs> and of course. I appreciate that about her and I think she feels that way about um, my uh, my queerness she like can't help but say the the things that are gonna hurt me a little bit but she just feels like as her duty as a mother is to say those things probably the biggest disconnect I think between straight parents and queer kids Mm -hmm. or cis parents and trans kids I don't know but I'm going to guess on that one that that, that this falls in the same category Um, is that like yes statistically it is totally possible that violence could happen to you Mm -hmm. or someone because of your queerness but the violence that is hiding who you are on a daily basis is a 100 percent likelihood Hmm. so like you're actually dealing with the percentage of random attack versus the certainty of danger that you're put in yeah if you're not able to be yourself and I think that um, it would it is such a normal and and uh, human reaction to want to protect your child. But the problem is not understanding that like what your child needs is protection mm-hmm. of of who they already are. 
Like, they need you to protect their truth, not their body. Yeah. I And I think that when my – I feel like what my mom would – I don't know. Is, is it a generational thing or a cultural thing where I feel like my parents' generation are so good at stuffing down um, emotions and, like, feelings? Like, she calls uh, – she calls – my generation, like the tofu generation, because we can be easily poked and bruised. <laughs> or is it the strawberry? I can't remember. One or the other. Um, I feel like they, when they're in pain, they there's something that overrides that, like a sense of duty to family or to their kids or something overrides how they personally feel. And I feel like I'm expected to be that way as well. And it doesn't it's it's I can't well because there's a difference between how you feel and who you are wait say that one more time (laughs) I so I think what you're talking about is like having a because there's a difference between how you feel and who you are okay because the whatever duty your parent has Uh to like I am going to shove down my feelings to provide for my child you cannot shove down who you are. Mm, okay. You might be able to shove down like, uh, I want more for myself, but mm-hmm. I, like, I wish I had a full career, like, whatever it is. I wish I had a full career, but I chose family, and so, like, I am going to be committed to that, and I will shove down my personal aspirations. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. that is something that you could shove down. I'm not saying you should. But that's something <laughs> you could shove down. But you can't shove down who you are. I feel like in the generation before us, they could and did. Well, I mean, I think we saw the results of that. Yeah, too. not great. Not great. Like, I think I think when you're talking about something like gender or sexuality, like the results of that were um, like queer people entering into straight marriages and then cheating on their partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Queer people uh, like being so ignored and uh, stigmatized that, like, the AIDS crisis was, like, allowed to, like, bloom, you know, like, just fully explode. Um, Like, the results of that were not health. Mm -hmm. And for our community, really detrimental. (laughs) Like, Oh, totally. You know, I just... So, I mean, like... Yes, our parents' generation were taught to that, but I don't think you can look to. I don't think you can look to what happened to straight people. <laughs> I think you have to look at what happened to queer people. Like okay. queer people became priests, and then those priests were taught that sexuality was disgusting, and so then sexuality became about power because that's the only way they could interpret it. And then mm. power became abuse, and then those pe- priests harmed children. Like it's not like. Yeah. Things didn't go great. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So I think that I think that there's like a, a false equivalency there. Even mm-hmm. though I totally understand what you're saying, and I I I understand this conversation. Like I've had this conversation. You're yeah. you know, t- 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 fifteen years ago when I was coming out and, and fighting my dad on it. Like yeah. I've had this conversation, but I think that the false equivalency between like fucking suck it up and do your job and be the expectation. Like you have to look at what happened to people who tried to do that. Yeah. They were, by and large, 
not who I would want to be. And I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be married to that person. Like the best case scenario is that you shoved it down so deep that you had a successful marriage with somebody that you never loved. And that poor partner, like who that poor person who could have had somebody else who really did love them. Like that sucked. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That wasn't a good thing. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's because my parents are. I mean, I don't, every once in a while I feel like my mom could be gay, but maybe she's just repressing something. I don't know. I guess I always thought that that she was comparing the fact that she, you know, gave up her her life in Taiwan to, like, immigrate. And, the, you know, like, the sacrifices that she made meant that I needed to follow the plan that she had set into motion. And I d- didn't from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, and I think that... F- for first generation folks like that is such a typical story mm-hmm. but then if you add to it this thing where it's like i mean you never had a chance like there was never going to uh, be a chance like because you are the person that you are there was never you're yeah. never going to be able to do that yeah it would have been unsafe maybe like, emotionally unsafe oh oh for sure i was an angry kid <laughs> angry angry so kid. there it is like yeah. My mom. I remember my mom specifically asking me in elementary school, like, why are you so angry? I was like, I don't know, because you didn't buy me this. It wasn't why. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't why. I don't know. So they're maybe never going to understand that. Fully. Yeah. Like that part, like they might never be able to have with you this conversation that we just had. But I will tell you, I understand. Hmm. And like, that's why. I mean, I don't understand the fullness of your personhood but we can have this conversation and that's that is why people seek out community because like you have your family and then you have your queer family Mm -hmm. and like your queer family your family of origin understands where you came from Mm -hmm. uh and your queer family understands where you are yeah i i love my queer family the other day i told uh my friend from a camp that when my ex and I first started dating, we went on like six dates in two weeks, and she was like, that's such a lesbian thing to do. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, is it? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, the other reason that women want to spend that much time together is because, like, our partners are our family, too. Mm. So, yeah. it's huge. Um, well, I loved talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for all the advice. I, I feel really like I got it. bossy and I didn't mean to get bossy, <laughs> but I just felt, I felt like I, there was a natural, like, I don't know. I feel, I feel parental a little bit because I thing. can see where you I, are right now yeah. and I've been there and I just want to help. And I'm sorry if it was, if any part of it was diminishing, no. I just want to hold you like <laughs> an adult baby. Like an adult baby. I think I'm at a point right now where I have been seeking advice from a lot of people. So I go into conversations now, like being like, here's where I'm at. <laughs> Tell me which I, way to go. <laughs> so I think that's what happened here. I hope that that, right? Oh, well, I hope. Dude, keep doing what you're doing. You're I'm doing all try. the right stuff. I'm, I'm going to keep trying. And, and then as I come across anxieties, I will share with the world. Yes. <laughs> As I am want to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we go, I just wanted to ask if there was a queero that you wanted to share with the listeners. Just somebody or something that 
um, gave you hmm. the permission or strength to be who you are? I think, I think that when uh, when I was growing up, there were I didn't see myself on in the media at all because I'm an Asian person, and there really we had Lucy Liu, which is great, and I think that was it. Oh, Jackie Chan, love Jackie Chan, but also not not who I am. And the person that I actually really, really clung on clung onto was Angelina Jolie, because she was such a such a powerful woman on screen, and she gave me, I think, the the validation to do the things that guys could do, like play sports, even though I'm not an athlete, um, play drums. Just do all the take up the space that boys typically are in. I mean, I also wanted to look like her, which was never going to happen. But she, I like, I honestly went into went into law because of her, because of her humanitarian work. Like, I really look up to her. Not only was she a strong, powerful person on screen, but as a person, she did such good charity work that it really affected my my life in the direction that I headed in. And suddenly, because I was really into movies and television, and so I was following her career, and then her her career changed and changed trajectory, and mine did too along with her. And it sounds kind of dumb that I would follow an actor throughout my life, but I did. I even I think I wrote my like law school admissions essay on Angelina Jolie. And it got me into law school, so... <laughs> Thanks, Angelina. Yeah, thank you. If only we can be friends now. That'd be great. So if you know her personally... <laughs> I don't know her yet. I would... I'm pretty sure she please will listen to this, though. Connect us. That'd be great. Um, but I think her would be... She She has the most the most impact on my life, I think. As a person that I, I, I didn't know. And um, a bisexual person. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'd forgotten Which, about that part. I, and it doesn't matter. But also, like, Yeah, rad. that's true. Yeah. Okay, I, well, I feel much better about this choice now. What? I oh, you forgot. Jenny Shimizu, man. I Yes, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Well, I think that, uh, like, maybe you didn't forget about it somewhere deep in your... But you know what I mean? Like deep in your heart, like there's something about what Angelina has always been doing uh-huh. that is like querying the media. Like she's doing amazing mm. activism work, but she's not allowing herself to be put in a box. That what you're talking about is querying a space. Oh, see, like just learning things from you left and right. <laughs> I mean, uh... no, I just mean like I fucking love Angelina Jolie, too. Yes. Because when we look at her, we see ourselves. Yeah. Oh, I love her so much. I just want to be your friend. That's why I'm the star of Tomb Raider. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kathy, it was so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for being here. This is so much fun. And And educational. Listen to Nancy. Yeah, listen to Nancy. We're doing some stuff. We're putting stuff out there. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. listeners that's our show please remember to rate and review us on itunes you can follow me on twitter at cameron esposito we are recorded by matt brousseau produced by sierra Catow and feral audio 
Our theme song is by AW, and you can find them at listentoaw.com. Thanks for listening to Query. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season 3 of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.